The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 399. In just a little bit, we will be talking to Andrew Noble. Uh, Right now, I'm here with Reverend Kurt Cooper. Kurt, how's it going? Hey, John. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's it's been a little while. Hey, you know what? I should probably silence my phone before we start recording. Could you hear that? I, I didn't hear it, but I'm just com- okay. I'm really really put off now. I think we should maybe we'll very, we'll try again next week. Yeah, very unprofessional. Um, Kurt, if you've been listening, you know that everyone's sharing a resource that's been helpful to them in ministry. And so, what's something that's been helpful to you right now? Okay, well, this isn't just one resource, but uh, it's it's a multitude of resources. But uh, and I, if we have some time, let me put some context on it for a second. Um, first, every once in a while, I'll have students or former students text me, and they'll say that they're reading something or someone gave them something, and they have a question about it, and uh, whatever it is. And... Um, you know, it could be, um, it could be anything. And so lots of times those conversations end up with us, with them, with the student asking, what's something I could read about this issue or about that issue? And oftentimes it's about verses that are complicated or, or that, uh, require more nuance and interpreting. Right. Um, and, uh, it's always those kind of issues that, uh, kind of sticky issues in scripture. And, you know, what kind of commentary would you give a student about a particular book of the Bible or a passage of the Bible? Well, I'll tell you this. I haven't read all of them. Okay. So, but, and there are, you, you can go pretty deep in commentaries. I mean, you can get pretty in the woods with the Greek or the Hebrew and, and, and all of that. And that's not really what students looking for, but what is an accessible biblical commentary? Well, I will say that I've had a lot of success with the Bible speaks today. Are you familiar with that pot with that, uh, with that series? Yes, because I think you've told me about it. I think, yeah. So talked about it before. I, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but I, I, sometimes I will just, I, this might even be illegal. I don't know. Sometimes I'll just take pictures of pages from it and send it to students and say, look, this is here. Here's like a really simple. Um, That's this illegal. Is like, that it is. is. Illegal. Yeah. Is, well, I'm breaking the law. It's right here recorded. Um, the, uh, so uh, I slow rolled a stop sign earlier since I'm confessing. <laughs> is this like immunity where oh, I, where everything I confess I'm, I'm good for? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, there was just a lot of pressure to get here on time. John was like, we got we to record. But, uh, but uh, it's a very accessible, um, it's a very accessible commentary, right? Um, and some of it is written a long time ago, but it's, you're, it's, 
it's not going to get so deep in the woods of uh, the, you know, the participles and, and how they relate. It, that's not saying that's not important. It is, but it, it's not going to get so deep in the woods that into that, that someone's just going to, you know, a student might turn their brain off. I, I would hand, I'm holding, um, I'm holding the message of Genesis verses 12 through 50 right here, but on my desk right here, I've got second Timothy, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and let's see, Revelation. So I'm not joking around when I say, you know, I I have a lot of copies of of different, you know, it's a, it's a series and it's edited by a bunch of different people, but written by a bunch of different people. Um, but it, it's really helpful and and I really do use it quite a bit. So uh, you know, I think it would be a good investment. Uh, for a church to have, you know, for their youth minister or for a pastor to have a copy of them. Um, probably won't be the most dynamic commentary that their pastor has ever read, but it's really approachable. So I, let me just plug the Bible Speaks today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you are. And it seems like it might have been Tim Challey's a while back, but him talking about how small his office is and that he has to be cautious of how many books he can get because he gets them all the time and people send them to him. But uh, it, it went into him thinking of, okay, well, what kind of commentaries am I going to have in my office because I've got to be selective? And he might have uh, come up with a list, and a few people have done that, of the best commentaries. But what you're saying is that this is helpful for students, and this is something accessible for students. And we do need to be humbled by the reality of when we are teaching God's Word, uh, There, there's great warnings in Scripture about that. And so we do need to make sure we know what we're saying, and leaning on commentaries is is important. So I'm, I'm glad you're pointing people to that. Uh, Kurt, what's a resource outside of ministry uh, that you've been enjoying? <laughs> um okay so my wife and I we we have never had cable ever so uh I think there might have been like I say that I think there might have been like a three-month period where we had cable for free because we moved and it was still like hooked up or whatever I don't know and so but for the most part we we've never had cable television so you didn't um, notify the cable company that you had. We did cable? actually, That's but you like know the third thing you're confessing here today. No, no, I'm <laughs> I'm completely clear here because we did call them and tell them uh, because I didn't want to be charged for it, and it took them you know a really long time to come out and turn it off. I'll just say that it took months for them to come out and turn it off. Um, okay, so cable though. Sorry. So, so all that to say is that we just recently. We had to get YouTube TV. We had, I say that we had to. We decided to get YouTube TV for a little bit because, and this is, this is a conv, again, a convoluted story, but uh, there is a kid on our street that lives on our street in Montgomery. His name is Riley Tate Wilson, and he is going to get very far in the voice. I don't know exactly how far because they're not allowed to tell, but he is like, he's, he's going to make it very, very far. Um okay in the voice and we wanted to watch, you know, so, uh, so we got YouTube TV or we've had it for a minute so that we could watch him on the voice, uh, our neighbor, um, his mom and, and Marty walk together, you know, I won't say weekly, but almost weekly, they'll go on walks together. So anyway, it's really exciting for us to see him, you know, he's doing really well. Mm -hmm. So 
but that's not the resource. The resource is, is because we have YouTube TV, I have rediscovered how much I love the office. <laughs> and Marty and I have been talking about it. Marty is my wife, in case someone doesn't know who that is. Um, we've just been talking about how hilarious because I think the office is just, it's reached friend status where it's just always on, on, or it seems like it's always on and I can just jump in wherever. And I is just, it, it pays off, you know, as long as it's before Steve Carell leaves. <laughs> uh, there are a few episodes after Steve Carell leaves that are good, but man, it just, nothing makes me laugh. Like Dwight Schrute. Like he just, <laughs> <laughs> he just he, he he is just absolutely hilarious mm-hmm. uh yeah. and uh anyway so that's been fun um i would not watched it in years and i'd forgotten just how hilarious it is i'm thinking about different things um yeah anyway uh just rediscovered the office and we have laughed really hard about it so yeah, I might have to revisit that again because it has it's been a while for me as well. And it's funny as you bring up Dwight, I think of like Kramer and Seinfeld as well. What's always amazing to me is you have actors that are great, obviously, but they just get a script in their hand and they make that character what it is. And it's just it's awesome to see. I mean, Dwight Schrute, yeah, one of those iconic characters. Um, so look, we're about to get into my interview with, uh, Andrew Noble. I did want to let our re- listeners know about another resource that RYM has produced. It's a devotional for teenagers entitled social media pressure, finding peace alongside Jesus. Um, our listeners will be hearing more about this in the, the weeks ahead, but, uh, there's a link in the show notes for people to check this out. Again, it's a devotional written for teenagers. And so it will be available at the time of this recording, maybe in a couple of weeks, but it's available for pre-order now. Um, Again, we'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead. For now, here is Andrew. Today, we welcome Andrew Noble to the podcast. Andrew, good to have you on. Thanks for for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're going to be talking about an article that Andrew wrote for the Gospel Coalition, and I love the title because it tells you exactly what it is. Uh, the, the title of that article, How to Make the Most of the Parental Settings on Your Child's Phone. Um, to our listeners, there will be a link in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Um, I also want to say Linda Oliver is joining us once again. And so, Linda, thank you for for jumping on very last minute. Glad to be here. Um, Andrew, look, before we jump into your article and just uh, some other things that you're involved in, uh, this is your first time on the podcast. So why don't you just tell our listeners where you're joining us from and a little bit about it, about yourself? Yeah, happy to. I'm a, I'm a Christian in Kitchener. And if you don't know where Kitchener is, it used to be called Berlin over a hundred years ago. It was changed in World War One because Berlin was not uh, a you know, a title that people wanted, but it's just about an hour outside of Toronto. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a hardworking town of about half a million people um, and uh, live there. I work at a church, Grandview Church, where I, um, I'm i an assistant pastor there and I, I help out wherever I can um, across the ministries. Yeah. Wherever you can accept youth ministry, right? Yeah, well, I was telling you before we hit record that that I uh, I wanted to go into ministry for like the past 
12 years and uh, I decided, you know, when I was 19, nope, I'm I'm not going to do youth ministry. I felt like it was just a glorified youth planner or, a, or an event planner, I should say. And you couldn't actually do discipleship and you were looked down upon and it was just expectations and no actual uh, fruit. So I, I didn't like that. I know there are good youth ministers out there. And now that I've gotten more involved in my own church, I'm like, oh, wow, there's, there's huge value here. It is a difficult job. And I so appreciate the people who are doing it. Yeah. Th- thanks for letting me put you on the spot about that because, um, you, you know, youth workers obviously tune into this. Parents do as well. And every youth worker out there has thought, how long can I do this job? This, <laughs> this is incredibly hard. So you're not alone in, in thinking that. And I can remember having conversation with um, a group of youth workers a long time ago. And one of them said, you know, am I a travel consultant or am I, am I a youth worker? So um, that becomes just an aspect of the job is, yeah, uh, planning so much. Um, hey, I, I was, I, I know we might talk about this a little bit later, uh, but you also have a podcast and I love the title of your podcast. So tell us uh, the title, how you kind of came upon that and then a little bit about the podcast. Yeah, well, since I didn't do youth ministry, I ended up working in tech. Um, and a good friend of mine, he still works in tech and works at a big data company. And we always have great conversations about, you know, how should we use tech? And we go back to this question, what would Jesus tech? And that's the name of the podcast. Uh, it's a play on the what would Jesus do? And which is a reformed question to ask. Sometimes we don't think in the reformed tradition about uh, what would Jesus do? We think about what, what Jesus did do, uh, which is both our questions are important. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so just in terms of imitating Christ in our, in our habits and imitating him and in, in how we build, we are created by a creator to create. And so technology is actually really important and, and should be a part of our lives, uh, but more in terms of creation than consumption. And so we're trying to help our listeners uh, use tech as Jesus would if he were to live today. Well, that, that sounds awesome. And again, I've just stumbled upon your article and just you and your work. And so I have not gotten to listen to it yet, but it is, sounds like such an important uh, podcast. I mean, it, technology is every, everything. I mean, it, it touches every aspect of our lives. So I'm looking forward to, to checking that out. Um, I'd love to just jump into your article a, a little bit. And Linda, I'd, I'd love for you to jump into, I don't want to hog all the, the questions. Um why don't we just begin with, okay, what moved you to write this article? What, what was it that kind of prompted you to think, you know, and just letting people know, I mean, this is a very helpful article, parents, you need to check it out. It has level zero to four of kind of setting up a phone. Yeah, just what, what led to you writing this? I think part of it, one of the things we've seen in the tech industry, whether it's Apple or Google or any one of these big companies, is they're trying to introduce what their consumers are asking for. And more and more consumers were asking for better protections on their phones for when they give their phones to their kids or when their kids get their own phone. And so these have been introduced, but you don't often see Christians talking about it. Um, And so it actually came out of a conversation with the executive director of the Gospel Coalition Canada, Wyatt Graham, and he, he was like, hey, can you can you work on this, you know? Um, and I just have a burden for parents to to really be mindful about how much danger there is on phones. Um, you know, if you're gonna give your kid a phone with internet access, think to yourself, would I also drop them off downtown Toronto or whatever big city you're near 
you know, at two in the morning and, and just leave them on their own for the night. You wouldn't do that, right? Unless they had developed a degree of autonomy and responsibility and, and wisdom before getting that level of risk in their lives. And, and I wanted to think about it as levels, not in terms of whether or not you give them a phone or kind of this abstract, well, what age should you give your kids a phone? And, and those questions are good to ha to ask and to discuss, um, but we need to think about it in terms of, of uh, you know, Jesus has the, the proverb of, you know, you don't, you don't give someone a lot of responsibility before they prove themselves in a little bit of responsibility. And so give them levels of access over time and, and before you give them a whole phone with internet access and with access to downloading apps. Yeah, I think this is a, I mean, great thing. I, even just when I skimmed the article at first was like, whoa, I didn't know that half these things existed. Um, like this is very helpful. Um, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to like what what's at stake here? Like if we weren't putting any protections and like you're kind of your heart behind that. Yeah, it's it's really just a question of of what has God asked of you as a parent. And you you need to think about that as one of the most primary components of your life is how you parent. I think about it as a as a minister. You know, and I, and I said it the wrong way. I I put the noun in the wrong spot. I'm a I'm not an assistant pastor. I'm a pastoral assistant. So I kind of gave myself a title boost there. Um, but Dwight Schrute, there assistant. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to the regional director. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like like I think about if I'm not a good parent, then I shouldn't be in pastoral ministry, right? Like that's what First Timothy three Titus one says. So this is such a core responsibility. Um, you know, you can't get through the most important commandments in Scripture without getting around these aspects of parenting um, and aspects of raising your kid children in the fear of the Lord. And so this is just a question of how responsible are you with one of the most important aspects of what God has asked of you to be a good parent and to protect your kids from the risks and to also give them wisdom and encourage them to grow, to handle the risks when they are off on their own. Cause there will be a day when they, you know, we believe in scripture, which says that, you know, when they get married, they're going to leave their father and mother. And so are you preparing them for that future where they do leave you? And so you need to not simply give them a whole bunch of rules, but but help them through why you're giving them these rules and what you think is valuable and passing on those values to your children. Yeah, Andrew, I love what you're saying. And I love just the, the sobering nature of this. I mean, one, how you, you say in the article and you just said, you know, dropping your child off downtown somewhere, um, because th that's the reality of what they're exposed to or what they have access to on the phone. And then also just the sobriety that, that scripture does, does bring that, that we are given these children as a gift. They don't belong to us. We're to steward them. They belong to, to the Lord. And so seeing it in that, that way, I think does wake us up to the, the steps we need to be taking to try to, um, not just give these devices to our children, but to prepare them for this. And, and, and something, too, that I think you bring up that's helpful at the beginning is just the, the balance that you try to maintain, that you are saying, look, um, 
yes, we need to protect our children and we need to um, be cautious of the freedoms that we get them. But we also need to realize that we're raising them towards independence, that there are some ways in which we need to give them some freedoms. And, you, you know, you caution on, I'm trying to think, I think you said just the overcoddling and we are aware of helicopter parenting, all that kind of stuff. So maybe let's just talk about that a little bit in this conversation, because I feel like it's very important as we're trying to be faithful parents that we, we can take that to an extreme and just monitor everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's the sentence you're referring to. It's one of those sentences that you write. And as I'm trying to grow as a writer, I'm like, Ooh, I like that sentence. You know, <laughs> like it, it gets, it captures what I'm really trying to say. And I'll just read the sentence. Cause I think I can't say it better than I already did. Um, I worry about the over coddling of the next generation, a big brothering of their lives and an over responsiveness to their mistakes alarmed over each drop of spilled milk. Um, and, you know, like literally the other day, uh, my son, he's only three, he he spilt milk. And it's like, you know, the, the old frame of don't cry over spilt milk. And we we do this with our children and we we just so want their safety, but it, but it creates a safetyism where and Jonathan Haidt has talked about this in the overcoddling of the American mind. And I'm, I'm definitely riffing off his work uh, throughout this piece, because not only is he saying we need to let our kids walk to school and on their own and, and more independent play, they need to learn to make mistakes on their own. It's just you want to create the right space for them to make those mistakes and learn how to independently respond to those mistakes rather than you always hovering over their shoulder. It's just, okay, what level of risk do you want to give to them? And a phone, the level of risk is huge. Whereas something in the backyard with a bunch of wood and even with nails and a hammer, I would much rather give my children, even at five years old and three years old, I'd rather give them a hammer with nails than an iPhone, right? Yeah. That's well said. And Linda, again, I, I want you to jump in as, as we start to, to dig into maybe some more of the content of, you know, again, you have level zero all the way to level four. I just thought maybe we're not going to unpack all of these, but as you look at level zero, which is just a dumb phone, um, I would assume many of our listeners are aware of what a dumb phone is. Why don't you talk about that just a little bit without skipping over it? Um, just explain what a dumb phone is and then maybe some of those options that are out there in this category, because some people may be unaware. Yeah. So dumb phones are essentially phones that only do what phones used to do uh, 20 years ago, and that is make phone calls. Uh, some of them have different features, and sometimes they are referred to as feature phones because they don't want to brand them as dumb phones. So you might see them um, on various websites as, as feature phones. And, and yeah, it's it's a simplified phone. And that's that's what I call level zero. Um, you know, you could also just not give your child a phone at all. Um, but that's that's saying to them, you know, in case of emergencies, you can call us or you can text us, but you won't have a device that does anything else. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the article kind of goes into increasing levels. So my children are five and three. So, so level one is what I'm currently at, where I give them um, the children's bio Bible app, and I put on what's called guided access, or if you're using Android, it's called app pinning and creating that feature or, or turning that feature on on your phone, which I go into in the article with like the how-to steps of how to turn it on. Um, it just allows them to only have access on my old iPhone that I don't use anymore. I give them that iPhone, 
I turn on that guided access and they only have access now to that single app. Or yes, I give my kids educational games on the phones too. And sometimes that's uh, in our, in our decision-making as parents, we've decided that that's permissible um, and not uh, damaging to them as long as we're not taking them away from play and other important things. But during certain times of the day, okay, that that's okay for that block of 15 minutes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's like level zero and level one are those kind of two, two levels of access. Yeah. I like the way that you're setting up these levels saying, Hey, this, like this level is for this kind of child, right. Rather than saying, Hey, it's just for this age. I know I've watched parents through the years that, um, you know, had multiple teenagers and different teenagers progress to different levels of access at different ages because that's what worked for them. And so it wasn't just, hey, when when they turn 16, they all get this. You know, some of them didn't even start driving at the same time. And it was just what was appropriate for that student, where they were maturity-wise, whatnot. Um, I wonder if <clears throat> like at the same time, we're probably also trying to get the students to the place where they can have full freedom by the time they get out of the home. Right. So yeah. Like, I wonder if, if you kind of have targets in your mind of, you know, by age, maybe this to this, I'm hoping that my children are at level three and then level four. Um, mm -hmm. any, anything you could speak to that way? Yeah. It's, it's always an interesting thing just in terms of those levels. So I spoke with, with someone at our church um, and he's 12 years old. He has a phone and it was a great little conversation because I had just spoken about digital technology and, and addiction and anxiety. And, and we talked after, and, and he said that he's limited to 40 minutes of social media a day. And I said, Oh, how's that going? Like, you know, now that your parents have set up this restriction and he responded with, it's the best thing ever. And I was like, this is sarcasm for sure. You know, classic preteen sarcastic remark. And he's like, no, no, seriously, it's the best thing ever because life is so much more than social media. And, you know, you, you kind of made a comment in the, in the question. And I think for some, for some teenagers, they can progress and they can eventually have full freedom on their phone. But like even myself as a 33-year-old, I still have covenant eyes on my phone. And so is it really quote unquote full freedom? Maybe what we do as Christians is we hold each other accountable and we we don't, you know, get so attached to individualism with individual devices and individual technology, but we see all of our goods and things as belonging to one another. Uh, which is literally the language of scripture, like in, in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians, we are said to belong to one another. We belong to Christ. We belong to one another as well. And so you think about your belongings as not just your own. And so your iPhone is shared with your church members and your parents and your siblings. And, and, you, and in that context, it's like, yeah, you, you want full freedom. You want maturity. Maybe maturity is a better word. And I'm not critiquing their, your question. I see you nodding. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but yeah, so you want them to progress. And that, as you said, it's going to depend on each child. And I don't have a, I'm, I'm, too immature as a parent myself to know. I don't have enough experience with teenagers to, to make any de declarations. Um, I spoke with someone the other day and he's like, 15 is as early as he's going to give his child a phone and only if they ask. 
And he added that caveat because, and this is Nathan Sutherland. He has a good ministry called Gospel Tech. Um, and he says that you can convince them out of wanting the phone or they might convince themselves. Um, and Generation Z might surprise you when you talk to them because they see these apps as kind of like some of us see cigarettes as just trying to hook you and addict you as opposed to trying to help you. Yeah, no, I think that I really appreciate that answer. I think, um, like it sounds like we should, um, help students as they grow, right, to like uh, value other people being involved in like helping keeping them accountable in these areas, right? Like that whole, I love the way you talked about even adults, like, don't necessarily have full, um, freedom, like you have accountability software and things like that. Like, and we belong to one another. Um, yeah. Like that needs to couple the way that we're approaching technology with children. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and, and I just love how we're, um, it seems like just framing this uh, with community in mind. Um, I mean, as believers, uh, we, we, we are designed, we're created for community and we need to, I guess, just an application of that is to understand that, you know, smartphones are beyond what any of us can um, deal with just on our own, that we need people that have our passwords that are just, you know, able to jump on our phones. And we should just be be free to, to have that mindset. And I think, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm just thinking that just seems to be such a key aspect of this discipleship process um, of letting teens know, look, this this is adults. This is not something adults have mastered. And you need to just kind of have that mindset of, of looking for to others for, for help. Yeah. Yeah. And some of us millennials, if we're honest, we're more addicted to our devices than uh, our children are or our parents are. And we need to be mindful of what kind of model we set. So in the context of what are you going to have your kids do? Well, what are you going to set up for yourselves? And maybe when you get home from work, you actually don't need to have access to your phone in your pocket. You can set it down somewhere out of sight so that your child sees it out of sight. Um, I've spoken to so many people and every, it seems like everyone has this story with the young kids where their child like sees their phone somewhere else in the room and then brings them their phone. And I've seen, uh, my kid has done this too. And it's like, oh, daddy, here's your phone. Mm-hmm. As if like, clearly the child knows that we have this tied relationship. We better have it on us. Like <laughs> they learned that, right. They learned that attachment. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot that kind of kind of goes into it um, on the on the context side. Um, but then on the practical side, like I'd still like as my kids get older and when I give them a phone, I'm going to use look over the shoulder software um, like Net Nanny or Quest Studio or Bark or MM Guardian. There's a whole bunch of them that I list in the article. And these softwares, in addition to the great settings that Apple and Google have implemented on their phones, those extra softwares allow me to see more of what they're doing on those apps. And we'll check for bullying words, um, not just sexually explicit things. Things, they'll check for that too, but they'll also check for bullying. They'll check for derogatory language um, and that sort of thing so that you just are can be made more aware of a parent. Um, none of these softwares are perfect. And so it always comes with that caveat of, yeah, there maybe is a way to get around it. And I'm not up to date on all the ways to cheat it. I like to have a dumb understanding of covenant eyes personally. Like I don't <laughs> fully know how it works. I'm interested in the tech, but I'm like, I'm not going to learn it. I'm just going to 
like know that it's tracking and it's tracking in, in the ways that it tracks. And so that's a self-discipline that I've tried to take with it personally. Um, and yeah, we all, we all got to figure out this self-discipline. We all got to figure out this life together. And I agree with you. It's got to be a community approach. Even listening to podcasts is a part of that yeah. community approach, isn't it? Um, to right. hear from other youth ministers of how they're figuring this out and other parents too. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I do love that you're bringing up just the modeling aspect of this because this is, that is so important. Of We can often just um, be ignorant to what our children are picking up from the ways in which we're, we're using our devices. Um, and, and something, before we leave it, I do want you, and I think this was more in um, level two that you talked about, just some of the the um, software that parents can use, kind of the over-the-shoulder software that you just mentioned. Would you talk just a little bit about some of those, which you have found to be the best or, you know, I know you said none of them are perfect, just some aspects that parents might not be aware of uh, that could be helpful. Yeah. So obviously with the caveat that I only have young children, but even in talking with some of the teenagers at my church, um, setting app limits is one of the things you can do right within for, for Apple, it's called family sharing. Um, and so you need to set up family sharing in order to enable it. Um, sometimes if you're using an old phone and giving it to your child, you might have it set up on your own profile. So you need to go through the steps of creating a profile under your child's name. And it's like, oh no, Google's going to get my data. It's like, yeah, they already knew their kid's name. Like they've figured that out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you, you go through those steps of creating a profile, assigning the phone under their name, and then setting it up as a teen account. Um, and then that's with family sharing with Apple or family link with Android. And then you can set up app limits. So that's where social media can be restricted to 40 minutes a day or to 20 minutes a day or whatever you do. It's always easier, of course, with any sort of hedge that you are creating as protection to, to set it closer um, first. So don't start with two hours a day and say, maybe we'll reduce it if it's too much. You know, like, like there's some wisdom in, in that proverb of Jesus again of if you're responsible with the little, you can be responsible with much. I even check with my own kids, even though they're five and three, uh, with the little bits of video game, phone game time that they get now. Okay. What is their response when I say one minute left? Okay. 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one time's up. Give me the phone. If they don't give me the phone right away, then what's going on in their hearts? What's going on there? Um, and uh, just responding to that. So app limits, content restrictions can be done right within Android and Apple devices. Um, explicit content filters can be done. You can block them from purchasing things on their own. Even if your credit card is tied to it, that's important. Don't let them go buy things on your behalf. Um, you're going to end up with Amazon packages at your front door of whatever. Um, and then, and then there are these other softwares that allow for, like I said, looking over the shoulder. And that's just, um, sometimes it's taking little screenshots of what you're child is doing um, while they're doing it. And then you see a screenshot of that later. Sometimes it's just the text of what they searched for. So I know for one parent they that I talked to about this, their, their child literally searched up, like, how do I get around Quest Studio? Um, so yeah, if they're searching for that, then then it's it's a conversation not of discipline and go to your room. It's a conversation, hey, you know, how, how's it going? What's, what, what were you feeling that day? Like what was going on? Um, the, you know, the tech misuse 
Um, yeah, sometimes that's a problem and that's a sin, but sometimes it's a symptom of something else that's going on. Mm -hmm. And so you always want to engage in that dialogue with your child, listen to them well, um, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk is a is an old book um, that I've been reading through in order to to help myself on this. But yeah, just listen well and hear what's going on with with their heart before you you know, respond. And yeah, sometimes discipline's necessary. Sometimes it's, okay, thanks for telling us. Let's not do that again. Yeah, well, I want Linda to jump in. Um, repeat the title of that book because that sounded really interesting. How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And it was written like 25 years ago, which is great because some of the parenting stuff in the last five, 10 years just goes too far in a in a coddling direction mm. compared to an older book that is is more like listening to your mom's wisdom um kind of thing thanks for that that was all good um uh, yeah so there were some things you've said that um reminded me too um you've written about distraction elsewhere right can you speak a little bit about um like what the scriptures have to say about technology distractions those sorts of things yeah, I mean, there's so much there. Uh, fundamentally, Romans 1, um, what are we worshiping? Are we worshiping the creator or creation? So all creation can be distraction. Um, but things made in the image of man as opposed to in the image of God will tend towards more negative outcomes. So it's it's being distracted by a tree or by a squirrel outside, um, you know, and getting caught up in that you know, that won't damage you as much as being distracted repeatedly by your phone. And the phones are reaching out. We're created in order to distract. We are in an, a, an attention economy. Um, economies are often defined by their scarcest resource, right? So what's the most scarce resource right now on the planet? It's attention. That's what the, that's what the most, the richest companies, that's what they are competing around, our attention. And so there's there's literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of people right now that are working on connecting your eyeballs with whatever they are making. And just to be just to recognize that that that's going on, um, there's been documentaries about this. Um, but what I've been trying to think about for myself is, and this kind of connects to some broader themes, but even just going back to um, going back to to Romans one is just this idea of God is the creator of everything. God kind of enchanted the world. He breathed life into it. He, his hands are in everything. And we need to kind of pause and think and reflect about how we live. And there's a lot of verses on just the importance of thinking about your ways. There's a proverb about it. Um, I tweeted it the other day, but I don't have it memorized clearly, but I read it and tweeted it. And there it goes out of my memory because I'm so distracted with the next tweet, maybe. <laughs> um, but even in Haggai, in Haggai, it's it's there's a there's two phrases that are or two lines that repeat the same thing of consider your ways. And the people in Haggai's day, they were supposed to rebuild the temple, but instead they were using the same technology that they could have been using to build the temple, which is pieces of cedar wood, and they were building their own houses. And I think that's kind of illustrates what we deal with today, that there, there can be good uses of technology, but we use them for independent, personal, distracted uses, rather than using that technology that God created technology uh, for purposes of good, 
for purposes of creating more good in the world and extending good um, to others. And so, yeah, the Bible has so much to say about distraction. And I, I've been trying to think about wonder as a replacement of distraction, wonder at what God has created and how God is involved in all things and trying to see the world as, as God's rather than just something for my own consumption. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Um, I know there's a book, The Distracted Mind. I cannot remember. I think it's a dual author who wrote that. Um, and I mean, they talked about, you know, distractions have always been a part of this this world. And um, I don't think they're believers necessarily writing this from a, a Christian perspective. But I think you're bringing up something so important um, because we know we hear so much about attention spans and just the concerns there. And so... Um, yeah, remind us the name of your article that you wrote for the Gospel Coalition about this this topic. Yeah, so I wrote Wonder, um, the Antidote to Distraction. And just to, to piggyback on that point that you made, that we've always lived in a distracted world. We can't just blame technology. And there can kind of be this, this uh, it's the easy way out. Let's just blame technology for all our problems. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, Blaise Pascal, I love this quote. I, I quote it all the time. And people are like, that's such a good quote. And I'm like, I, yeah, it's, it's someone else who said it. But Blaise Pascal said it hundreds of years ago, all of humanity's problems stem from man's ability, inability to sit in a quiet room alone. And isn't that true that we just, if we could just sit. And so that's why I think wonder is so important. When you sit alone with your thoughts, what do you do? What, what does that lead to? And, um, you know, you don't need to go on some silent retreat or whatever, like just literally sit alone with your thoughts and where do your thoughts go and consider your ways, consider where your mind goes and, we have so many examples in the Psalms, like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's self-talk. Self-talk is uh, like an essential aspect of Christian discipline. It is filling your mind with the right things rather than the wrong things, the things of God rather than the things of a, of a fallen human heart. And it's setting your mind on the things above. And, and what do you do with those thoughts? When I came back from the pandemic, Finally, we could, because in Ontario, we had the most pandemic restrictions and almost anywhere in the world in terms of lockdowns, obviously it was more aggressive in other parts of the world, but just in terms of lockdown measures and not being able to meet together as a church. So finally we meet back together and I had been helping set up Zoom for our church. So then when I met together and I didn't have any responsibilities, I'm just sitting there in the service and I got antsy. You know, I wanted to, to do something. I wanted more things to capture my attention. I wanted more whatever it was. And I'm glad that the response to that was not a light show and more graphics on the screen. I'm glad that that was a question for my own soul. What are you seeking? What are you after? And distraction is is symptomatic of, a, of really what you worship. And that's where we need to ask ourselves what we attend to. What do we, what do we give our attention to? And so, so much good stuff there. And just again, to our listeners, both of those articles will be linked in the show notes. I know we're about to be wrapping this up and Linda, feel free to jump in. But one of the questions I did ask you for some prompts to maybe have some things to discuss. And you said a question you like to kind of think about a little bit is, do you think Jesus would use a kind of fill in the blank for whatever technology? So just kind of one very easy. Do you think Jesus would use a smartphone? Um, thoughts on do you think Jesus would use a smartphone? Has anyone ever asked you that before, by the way? 
<laughs> well, it's kind of a, a running thing that we try to wrap up our episodes with our podcast. What would Jesus tech with, with a question like that? We don't always do it, but yeah, we've, we've, we've talked about it before. One of the unique things that Jesus did in terms of his use of technology um, is he used a boat and not for what we often think a boat should be used for, which is floating on water. He could obviously walk on water. So that's uh, obviously a mute point, but when he wanted to broadcast his message further, he went out onto the sea because then in the boat, he could, you know, you, we all understand how this works. Water allows sound to travel much better than over land. And so when he was out on the water, he could reach a broader audience. Is that not the same thing that's true of social media or various apps on our phone that we can broadcast our message further uh, with with the use of tech. However, I, I will say that I don't think Jesus would have used a smartphone and would have tweeted or written things because he ended up leaving that for his disciples to do. Like if you think about his ministry, he's so prioritized in-person physical interactions. Um, and it's just an interesting thought experiment that if Jesus did write a letter to someone, you know what there would be? There'd be a church that would be the church of the letter of Jesus. <laughs> and that's all the church would care about. And they wouldn't see all scripture as God breathed. So there was like some, some limitations that I think Jesus intentionally put around his ministry so that we wouldn't just be red letter only, only Christians. We would see all scripture as God breathed his words and the other words that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles and prophets. That's really interesting. And that is an interesting question just to, to, to think about, you know, what kind of technology would Jesus use? Um, Linda, did you have anything else you wanted to, to jump in on before we close out? I mean, I, do you think Jesus would have listened to podcasts? <laughs> um, I can see, cause there are some really good podcasts that are just like scripture based primarily. Um, and I do imagine Jesus like, you know, in his solitude, thrown in some AirPods and just being like, yeah, let me get some scripture in. Like, yeah, I think Rav, Ravi, whatever, Rabbi this or whatever did a podcast recently. And so I, I could see that, you know, he he got alone with the scriptures and, and with God's word and God's word can be communicated in so many ways. He went to synagogue every Sunday and heard, you know, people, other people unpack scripture. He didn't only read scripture. He, he was part of the tradition that gathered together. And um, I think in our, in our age with how difficult it is for individuals to um, just, just do everything that's required uh, in order to maintain a living. And, and most, most families, they have two parents working and you're trying to figure out how to raise your kids and you're trying to spend time with them, but you're also trying to make dinner and invite people over and do Christian hospitality and do small group. And then you got youth ministry that you involve, you're involved in, and then you're burnt out and Saturday morning, you just want to veg. And there's just a lot of demands on our current lives. And so in, in that context, it's like, yeah, I think podcasts fill a need in our society that allows for going in deeper on theology and Christian living um, that you can't meet in person as well these days because it just takes so much time and we live in the context of of driving, taking forever. And I don't want to spend my whole day commuting. And if I'm going to commute, I'm going to listen to a podcast. It's mm -hmm. a good use of my commute. Yeah. Andrew, these are yeah great thoughts. Um, I know we're uh, needing to wrap up. So why don't you tell our listeners just how they can 
uh, check out more of what you're you're doing. Um, I know you have a, a Substack, a newsletter, right? I didn't see um, the whatever tech. it's called. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a place where I write. Uh, Substack is just the easiest to set that up on. Um, but yeah, so I I write for the Gospel Coalition Canada every once in a while. Um, so, so you'll see my articles there in the show notes. Uh, the podcast is What Would Jesus Tech? And yeah, my my Substack that I write on is called Whatever Is Noble. Um, trying to trying to ensure that I'm not just a clickbait Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian that's trying to reflect well on the things of God and things that I'm reading. And it's kind of a place to to put the things that don't fit in a tweet and that I'm just kind of reflecting on. Um, so yeah, they can follow my my uh, articles there as well. Great. Well, Angie, thanks again for taking the time to, to come on today. Thank you for just your heart to help Christians think about technology in, in a wise way. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a fun, fun conversation. Yeah.